Well, good morning. I have been praying about this weekend for about a month now. Uh, first of all, there's been a lot going on. First, started praying about uh, Friday night as Ben Allen and the worship team led us in a great time of worship, a special event. Man, when we have those, I encourage you to come to those. But his team did a great job leading us to the foot of the cross and celebrating Jesus, much like he did today. Let's praise God for our worship team and all they do for us. And then I was praying for Ben Harris and his team, um, his, his students in the student ministry and the parents that are helping with that and the volunteers as they're putting the final touches even now on the chicken noodle dinner. And I would encourage you after worship to stay for that, but I, I'm thankful for that. I've been praying about that. But honestly, I've also been praying about this all month, this sermon today. As we wrap up this series and we've entitled The Lies We Believe, I've been praying that God would be honored and blessed this weekend. As we bring glory to his truth and, and what he expects of our lives. And I pray that you'd be challenged and that you would be blessed. I pray that you've been blessed all month. The, the first lie that we covered on week one at the beginning of March was this lie. Jesus just wants me to be happy. And I, I want you to, to remember to take home with you again today that as followers of Christ, we're not limited to this choice between happiness or holiness. That's what the world would want us to think. But what Jesus is main, mainly concerned about is, where does our heart belong to? And that when our heart belongs to him, we can be holy, and we can have true happiness in him. In week two, we, we talked about this, what I feel is real. That, that's a lie of the world today. If you feel it strong enough, if you have your truth and I have my truth, then, then we just have to get along. But, but truth can be whatever you feel. I want you to know the word of God makes it clear that the heart is deceptive at times. Our own hearts and our feelings can lead us astray, but there are times when our hearts are dialed into God's word, and, and, and the reality is sometimes what you feel is real, but sometimes what you feel is, is a distraction. It may be a lie. And if the word of God speaks a different message than our heart, we've got to let the word win, because sometimes what I feel is not real. It's just a desire. And last week, we talked about this, this lie. I don't need the church. Never forget who the church is. It's you, my brothers, sisters in Christ. Those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, we are the church. And, and you have so much value before uh, the king in heaven that he died for you. And that, that's what makes you amazing and makes you awesome. And I believe the truth is Jesus is still building his church this church isn't the building. It's not based on who's leading ministry here. This church is the church of Jesus Christ, and he's growing us for his glory. I see God growing us in this series. I really do. It's not always been easy. It's sometimes awkward. But when we let his truth change us, we become more like Jesus. I'm so thankful that, that he is growing us deep, that he's growing us out, he's growing us young. And if you have been blessed this month at all, if you've been challenged, let's give God glory right now for what he's done. I'm thankful for that. Let's praise him. And, and you don't want to miss Easter weekend. The whole month of April is going to be amazing. We're going to focus on this. We're going to focus on the passion of Jesus. It's, it's a, not a new concept, but we're going to be grounded and, and celebrate the passion of Jesus we're going to seek to better understand how he saved us through his sacrifice on the cross. 
and clearly celebrate each week that he has risen. We don't just do that on Resurrection Sunday or Easter, but we do it every day. And I want to be clear now that we celebrate and worship a risen Savior. And Easter and the entire month of April is going to be important for you to to continue to, to grow with us in that. I want to highlight just the Easter weekend, this whole thing. On Saturday, uh, you're able to worship with us at 6 p.m. There's, there's early childhood available on Saturday as well. And then on Sunday at 8, 9, 30, and 11, we're going to have the identical four worship services with early childhood. So bring a friend, whatever time works for you. If you're going out of town or staying in town, uh, follow us on YouTube. But, but we're going to be celebrating Jesus risen. And if you're studying Quest with us, that's the book that we began at the beginning of the year. I want you to know to jump forward to chapter 48 so we're on the same page next week. I know that's out of order, but we're going to skip forward in this book to the concept of Jesus and the resurrection. So jump forward with us next week to chapter 48 of the book. If you don't have the book and you want to join us with that, you grab one. They're out across from the commons area. Uh, We'd love for you to join us with that. Today, though, we're going to shed light on one more lie that the world tells us so often. And I'm so glad you're here to help me with this. I'm actually surprised so many of you showed up to help me with this. You know, because the lie we're going to talk about today, it's this lie that we hear over and over again. Sex is all good. It's this this lie that comes at us from so many different ways that, that if we're not careful, we don't shed light on it, can really enter our soul and stay there. This lie has become commonplace in our culture. In fact, it really should be no surprise. In our secular world, you know what it's all about? It's this idea that if it pleases you, it's good. And so if sex is pleasurable to you, whatever it may be, however it may look, whoever it's with, it's just all good. This mindset has led our culture to celebrate more than 15 different sexual identities as of today. As of Thursday, the last time I searched this information, there were 47 different sexual attractions or orientations that we are um, anticipated to know about and be ready to celebrate. Because of this overarching premise that sex is all good and pushing back from God's design for sex and God's design, and I don't want to take this for granted whether you're online or listening on the radio right here in the room, God's design for marriage was between a husband and a wife. And yet we end up with 15 different orientations and 47 different attractions uh, because we have been uh, led to believe and it has been uh, tried to be deconstructed, the biblical principle for sex, even by pastors. We're reading a book with the staff right now, and it's a great book. If you're interested in understanding the world we live in and trying to stay faithful, uh, I highly recommend this book. It's called Faithfully Different. We're going to look different than the world. And it focuses on having a biblical clarity in an unclear world. Uh, But there was this pastor that quoted, uh, uh, Natasha Crane, the author of the book, quotes this uh, pastor that's getting national attention. And here's what the pastor said. Her name is Nadia Weber, and she says, Whatever sexually flourishing looks like to you, that's what I would love to see happen in your life. Uh, the world and even pastors are saying, whatever uh, you flourish in, that's, that's, you go for that because it's all good. 
She was even later challenged, this pastor was challenged, well, does that mean even uh, all, all different kind of sexual things are good, she, uh, including like pornography? And the pastor went on to say, uh, pornography is fine as long as it doesn't become compulsive. Have you ever considered giving a 15-year-old boy uh, a computer or a, a device full of pornography at their fingertips and say, hey, it's all good as long as you don't become compulsed to look at it all the time? Have you ever given, a, given a, a married man pornography and said, as long as it's not compulsive, it's fine, or, or a single woman, for, for that matter, anyone of any age? I, I want you to know this world is telling us time and time again that it's all good, and it's ruining our hearts. We've got to listen to God's Word. Look, listen to what God's Word says here in 1 John 4. Dear friends, that's who we are today. That's who I'm speaking to. Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit you must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. That was true then and it's true now and it'll be true until Jesus returns. It, it, this passage goes right along with the, the verse we've read every Sunday this month. And he, here's what I want you to do again. Based on this lie, in 1 Thessalonians it says, Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Test all things. Things of finance, things of education, things of sexuality. Test all things and hold on to what is good. And I have good news for you. Uh, by God's design, when, when sex happens between a husband and a wife, it is not just good, it is great. Can I get an amen? amen. I even got one smile over here, and I'm not going to look back at that person. <laughs> but guys, we don't have to be afraid of sex. By the design of God between a husband and wife, it's not just good, it's great, it's better. Sex, God's way, is best. Next time you encounter that lie, I would ask that you respond to declare that sex, God's way, is best. Not just good. It's more than that. The main lie that sex is all good could be tempted for us to rail on all day long. You know, uh, some people, especially people I grew up with at church, would say, hey, the, the job of a preacher is to rail against the things of this world that are bad, and you can do it all day long. In fact, I would admit to you, I could preach for the next 20 minutes or the next two hours and point out all the things of the world where they have messed up on sex. But what good would that do? Because I am concerned, and I, I'm pretty confident the world's not listening to me this morning. So my heart is not to rail on what the world's got wrong, but it's look to what we've got wrong in our hearts. So you may be a little bit more uncomfortable this sermon than you thought because it's not me pointing out all the things that are wrong with the world, but it's slowing down to say, What's, what have we got wrong? Because I've realized this is true. Have you ever heard the old saying, the worst lies are the ones we tell ourselves? Anybody heard that before? The worst lies are the ones we tell ourselves? Guys, I'm afraid we have told ourselves some lies about sex and we believe some half-truths that have actually come from Christians and church culture. I'm not suggesting that many Christians, if any, uh, conveyed untruths about sex uh, to, to hurt you, but, but it has. And I don't believe this church has failed greatly in this, but the church culture in general, where you may have come from, may have let you down about sex and sexuality and you are uh, misled. You, you have maybe even been hurt. Maybe it's by accident or maybe it wasn't. So today, instead of railing against the world about what they've gotten wrong, because I believe that wouldn't do very much good at all, I want to shed some light and clarify and challenge 
our own hearts about the lies that we believe and the half-truths that we tell. So here's the dilemma. You've usually noticed whenever I'm, if you've been around the last couple of years, if there's a topic that's super sensitive, maybe a sermon that um, is a little bit awkward, I'll come from this vantage point and sit down here. And so we're going to do that today. You're like, why do you do that? For one reason, it's for me to stay calm. It's also for us to stay conversational. I'd rather not just be preachy, preachy, preachy. But it's also something, just to give me something to hold on to so I can stand up, right? <laughs> but you're going to be surprised. What's going to happen next is I'm not even going to sit at this chair. I want to show you what I have been praying about and have been sensitive to in this room and on the internet. Some of your questions and comments I've received in private have convicted me not only to rail against the world, but first to say I'm sorry on behalf of the church and on behalf of so-called Christians. Because some of you have been hurt. And I'm going to take my notes so in case I need this, but I'm not just going to sit here. I want to get way down here to have this conversation like around a campfire, whatever you may think of this. And I want to say I'm sorry. Not that I have anything to say I'm sorry for, which I do, but I don't. Not that this church really has anything to say they're sorry for, because Praise God, there's no scandal, amen? I mean, this is good. I, I can sit down here and, and say I'm sorry, and, and we don't have a scandal like happens often. And I'm thankful that, that you've been loved by the past, by elders and, and pastors, but I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for sometimes how we have ignored the issue. And I'm sorry that some of you have been misled by half-truths. I'm sorry that sometimes you've been made feel like you're not worthy because you've had sex before you're married, and we're going to get into that today. I'm sorry that some of you, by church people, by so-called Christians, have not only been misled, but you have been abused and hurt. And I don't know who you are, but I'm sorry, and that's wrong. And we as a church, we as church leaders and elders and, and as brothers, sisters in Christ, we need to be ready to make a stand to say when something is wrong and we need to protect our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what I'm making a claim to do today, always. One of the, the things where my heart goes out to the most is people who have trusted someone in around the church and then they've been used in a sexual way. If you have been hurt, misused, or abused in any way, I would ask that you offer forgiveness today. That person may even be dead. But offer forgiveness, not because what you, was done to you is right, but mainly because forgiveness has been given to you, and the thing that was done to you has no place to ever have a right to bring you shame or frustration or fear again. Amen? So if you're hurt, seek forgiveness so you can be set free. And once again, I'm sorry that we have not always done this right as a, as a culture, as Christians. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you now and admitting that we sometimes have believed things that aren't true, have said things that are misleading. And Lord, we have allowed the culture of sin to grow and even hurt others around us. And, and we repent of that. We're sorry. I pray that those here would, would know that, that we're going to, expose sin, and stand to protect the innocent. Lord, heal the brokenhearted. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the saddest moments of my ministry, 
in the last 23 years is also one of my proudest. It happened in Hersher, Illinois. Um, we were growing as a church. Uh, there was a man that started coming to our church, and um, he was passionate. He was charismatic. We also found out he was a felon, which didn't change things. We, we welcomed him with open arms, uh, but he, he never really exposed much about his past, and that's okay. But about a year into his time with us, we began to have reports and just unfortunate awareness that he was using young ladies in our church, in our community, and beyond. And I dug into that just a little bit, and I, I had two girls, young women, they weren't minors, but they confessed to me that this man had misled them about their relationship with him, and he had used them at different times for sexual pleasure, and they felt really beat up. And so that weekend, I called him into my office, and he was in good standing with our church at that point. He, he was a servant. When he got there, the other elders were there, and I confronted him about the testimonies of these girls about his actions towards them and against them. And he was silent, he began to be agitated, and, and I, I encouraged him that he needed to repent. And I said that we would be uh, more than willing to give him professional Christian counsel. And he was silent. And then I was led by the Spirit to say, if you're not able to comply with the things we're talking about, if you're not able to come to a place where you're broken and, and seek help, you are not welcome to be here around my sisters in Christ because you're dangerous to them. And he had spent some time in jail, and he was a large man, and he took his chair that he was sitting on and threw it across the desk at me in my office. And the elders demanded he leave and said if he didn't, he'd call the police, and it was a heartbreaking day. I didn't say this first service, but he didn't ever come back to our church. I will tell you this through grace and through prayer and through some commitment to, to do what we felt to do what was right, he emailed me a few years later on, on New Year's Day and asked for forgiveness. But I'm so thankful that the elders and I were willing to make a stand to protect those that were being mistreated. And I want you to know that while nothing like that's happening here, I don't even know of anything like that in our past. There may or may not be. But we commit today to protect those that are innocent, to make a stand against sexual sin. Because here's what it says in the Bible. Run from sexual sin. Take a stand against it. Uh, don't, don't just ignore it. Because no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. I think it's a sin against the body of Christ. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. I know that's hard words, but you don't belong to yourself because you have been bought at a price, a high price. So run from sexual sin and, and, and honor God with your bodies. Here, here's what you need to hear. It brings me to the first lie that sometimes we hear. We need to honor God with our sexuality because we don't belong just to ourselves. He has bought us through the blood of Jesus. Your value at the core comes from Christ, not your sexual past. And that's a lie that I heard growing up a little bit. The lie is this, that your value is connected to your virginity. You may have never, you know, I've never heard that. In fact, I've never heard it in that words. It's just words that help me remember the points. But I hope you remember this. Your value is connected to your virginity. It is a lie that you may have been told growing up, that you may believe. But here's the reality. Your value is not intimately connected to your sexual history. Your value at the core is connected to the fact that Jesus died for you with his blood and your sins are forgiven. There's where your value is. Amen? Amen. 
And shame on us, shame on the church, and we've twisted that and made such a, a purpose on, on purity that we think that's where our value is. Now hear this, don't misunderstand this. You're like, well, are you not for sexual purity? Absolutely. When you realize that you're bought at a price, the scripture says, honor God with your body. But your initial value comes from Jesus. I also do believe through scripture, by God's design, it's truth, it's just not my belief, in the unity that God makes between a husband and a wife, it's a miracle. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's physical, it's sexual. When God puts Adam and Eve together in Genesis 2, it is a perfect unity by his design. And I believe, based on that scripture and other scriptures, that the marriage bed should be honored and kept pure, protected and pursued, valued. But that's not where your value is. It's not the only place that it comes from. It is important, in fact, it's so important that I believe if you're single now, that you should wait until you're married to have sex. I think that's honorable. I think it's good. I think it's what God calls us to. Some of you are like, well, that's impossible. That's what the world would tell you. Because sex is all good. Why would you wait? But I want you to know it is possible. Tiffany and I waited until we were married to have sex. And it was worth the wait. And while God's heart is for us to wait on this, for you to stay pure, shame on the church for putting shame on people to think that their purity was forever gone because they had sex before they're married. I'm sorry. That's the message that we heard. We twisted the truth to protect uh, uh, the sanctity of marriage and, and purity to think that our value really comes from how we behave. Our value comes from Jesus. Amen? I don't know if you're convinced, but that's okay. Listen to the text again. Run from sexual sin. Run from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Yeah, we just read this. For sexual immorality is a sin against the own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, but you were bought at a high price. And this is the part we didn't read first. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. All that I've said is true. Your value comes from Christ. And when you do that, when you understand that, you will honor God with your bodies and your sexuality. So one thing I want to address, especially with this room, is basically this question. How far can you go before you get married? How far is too far before you say, I do? It's a question I asked my youth minister when I started dating, and honestly, he didn't say too much. Anybody ever have that? You ask that question, and at some point, you're like, ah, you don't get much answer. So then I asked him again when I got serious about dating, and I was like, man, I think I found the girl I'm going to marry. It was Tiffany. And so I went to him again, the same guy, and I said, hey, I, I love this girl. I think I'm going to marry her. How far is too far? And you know, he gave me some advice that day. He said, uh, he thinks, he said, um, that hugs and hand-holding is about the limit before you're married. And that worked about a day, and I found someone else to ask, okay? <laughs> I did. I, I was like, I got to ask somebody else. No one really had many answers. You might be able to relate to that. In fact, if you heard conversations, if you're my age or older, let's just say that, if you heard a pastor uh, preach on this at a conference or a rally or youth camp or even Sunday morning, which rarely happened, what sometimes you heard was this illustration. If you have sex before you're married, you know what you're like? A piece of chewing gum that's already been chewed. I heard that illustration. Or you're like a flower who's already had all the petals plucked. 
Your value was told to us that we were gone. But our value does not become from our behavior of sex. Our value first comes from God. And then whenever we are made right with God, no matter what we've done in the past, we're going to honor God moving forward with our bodies. And we messed it up. Let's say you're not married and you've already had sex multiple times. You are not worthless. You can be made brand new by the blood of Jesus today. But then once you accept that, man, honor God with your bodies. Because God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Amen? Your value as a person is not determined of what you have done or haven't done. Your value is determined by Jesus Christ. And remember, sex, God's way is best. If you are in a sexual relationship right now, today, and you're not married, so I'll put it this way, if you're in a sexual relationship today and you're still single, you're, you're outside of marriage, stop it. Repent. Turn away from that and seek what God would have you to do. Flee from it. Run from it. Hear me, that you would run towards someone that loves you so much so that he gave his son to die for you so that you could be saved. Uh, Turn your back on that thing in your life right now and run to God and he will bless you more than you can imagine. But I might lose my boyfriend or girlfriend. That's That's a real statement right now. And this is easier for me to say than it will be for you to live. But take this advice. If you're wanting to do this and you're ready to change and you might lose your boyfriend or girlfriend when you do it, lose your boyfriend and girlfriend. Wait for God to give you someone that will honor him, honor your body, and be blessed beyond what you can imagine. So the real dilemma with this lie is that the world has told this sexuality is really no big deal. You know, it's, purity is no big deal. It's all good. On the flip side of that, the church is messed up by saying sexual purity is the biggest deal. We've told ourselves that sexual purity is where our value comes from, that our virginity equals our value. But you know what controls our sexual purity, our purity as a whole? It's not our actions, it's Jesus. What Jesus did for us, and then we're going to honor him. Some of you are still like me, though, before you're married, and you're wondering, how far is too far before I'm married? In fact, let's just see how many people in the room, uh, first service, there weren't very many. How many people in the room are still single? Raise your hand if you're single with pride. I mean, this is not a trick question. <laughs> if you're single, man, I'm glad you're here. This may really matter to you. You're like, how far is too far? And you're like, okay, he's really going to tell me today. And you know what the church said for a long time about how far was too far? This is pretty much the lie we've heard. All the figured out. You as young people, you that are single, oh, you'll figure it out on your own. That's how it felt to me at least. Because what we heard from the church, when we listened, when we went to Sunday school and church for years and years and years, maybe not this church, but what I heard from church about sex was nothing. We wanted to hear something at times. We even asked questions. But more times than not, what we heard wasn't very much at all. In fact, we as a church culture, globally, have been pretty silent about sex. We haven't talked much about avoiding sexual temptation like pornography. We, we surely didn't talk about uh, how to stand up against sexual wrongs or abuse or misuse. And we don't even really talk that much about the great blessings that sex is between a husband and wife for both procreation and pleasure. And we need to talk about it more. The lie we've told ourselves is this, oh, they'll figure it out. 
and I'm sorry. So this week on social media, I thought I'd talk about it. Yes, you're, that's right. Your pastor asked the sex question on social media. And actually, it went pretty well. I asked on social media, I said, well, hey, what do you think about this matter? Stay respectful and stay real. And there was good conversation. But what I heard as much as anything was this, that when I heard the church talk about sex whenever I was young was it was dirty. You don't talk about it. Definitely don't do it before your marriage. And by the, by the way, it was dirty, and, and don't do it. And it was dirty. Until the night you're married, and then it's good, and you'll figure it out. That's basically what we have said for a long time. Don't do it, don't do it, but then on the night you're married, it'll be good, and you'll figure it out. Over and over again, that is the response I had on social media. And it greatly affected young ladies who began to consider themselves as something that was kind of dirty. And then when they even got in their marriage, they didn't know what to do about the balance between being good or is it still dirty. And we've got to remember God's way is best. And we can do better on that. We, we can do so much better. It's by God's design that the marriage bed should be honored and, and should be a blessing. So let me ask you this, and don't raise your hand here. That's the rest of you who didn't already raise your hand. If you're married and you still kind of think sex is dirty and it kind of is confusing and you're not even sure what to do with it and you sure don't talk about it, you can do better. For your marriage and for God's uh, 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 blessing that he's been designed, uh, we've, been, we've been designed to be living from him. If you're married, I would ask you to pursue a blessing sexually. And some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> And others of you are like, yeah. Guys, sex is meant to be great. It's meant to be a blessing. In fact, God's way is best. So how do you begin to have that in a marriage? Well, I think you do this first by being willing to listen, even now. I applaud you for listening. But it starts with communication. I mean, it's not rocket science, but Tiffany and I have found that the best way to, to enjoy a sexual relationship is not just to assume that we know what the other likes I chose my words carefully there in fact the best way to be blessed in a sexual relationship is to listen to each other and literally say i like this and i don't like this that's worth the price of admission today to communicate with your spouse what is good and what is bad knowing that it should be good and we should try to honor that because god's way is best i would also ask you as a couple to pray that your marriage be blessed in a new way including with sex we're going to do better, not only in our marriages, but with our teens and preteens. Uh, we are committed to teach and to, to promote God's design with our young people, our, our, our young adults, our, our preteens, our 20-somethings. Our we need to be willing to have conversations about this. You know why it's so important, I think, now than ever for us to have conversations about sex? The world is having conversations with us every day about sex, whether we know it or not. Through commercials, through songs, through movies, through internet, and if we're not willing to have a conversation back, we're going to lose the, the, the messaging about this matter. Guys, God designed it, so he's the one that gets to talk about it. Let's let his word talk about it. Let's have conversations about this. And I also think we must pour into the next generation, no whether they're 12 or 22 or 42, uh, you as maturing adults, parents and grandparents, we must be willing to have conversations because it's not only the preacher's job. When you go home today and you're having lunch or maybe it's a noodle dinner, you're like, do we really want to talk about today's sermon? I encourage you to talk about it. 
Not just the preacher, but parents and grandparents. Raise your hand if you're a parent or grandparent. Man, a lot of you. I invite you to share in the conversation for the sake of your kids because they're worth it. And you're like, oh, we figured it out on our own. Oh, did you really? We need to be willing to not expect them to figure it out on their own. Uh, one thing is coming up on May 7th. If you're a grandparent or parent, mark your calendars for this. There's going to be a uh, preparing for adolescence class taught by Andrea Andrus. And it's not all going to be about sex, but it's going to uh, be about helping our adolescents come into their teen years, their pre-adolescence. So it's geared for parents of grandparents of 9 to 13-year-olds. But if you've never been in the class and you've got a teenager, I, I would welcome you. I think Andrea would, would also welcome you. If you've never been to the class, you've got a teenager, you need this class to continue the conversation. Sign up, register today. It's, it's open. Another thing that's available at the Parent Hub, uh, go ahead and show them a picture of the Parent Hub. It's right around from the new Commons area. It's right across from the kids' check-in. At the bottom right, uh, by the student ministry section, there is a, a sheet of paper with four resources that can help you with the talk. The birds and the bees, you know, if that's whatever you want to call it. But there's a resource there that the student ministry, family life department has put out to help you. And I got in trouble for first service for saying this a little bit, but I'll say it again. <laughs> there are more resources available. D arms, as a parent, grandparent would talk to you. Tiffany and I will talk to you. Our staff will talk to you. What I got in trouble for was this because they're not even married yet, but they're willing to talk to you. Ben Harris and Ben Allen will talk to you about, about the, keep the conversation going for purity and for the sake of that. Andrea would love to talk to you. She's got resources and books for all ages of parents. Guys, we've got to keep the conversation going because they're not going to figure it out well on their own. If we expect them to figure it out on their own, they will make some mistakes that are too painful for them to make without us helping them. Here's the last lie. We're almost done. Just do your best to behave. That's what we've kind of heard a lot from the church. Just do your best to behave. This is the idea that we're humans. And as long as you do your best and as long as you behave in public in the church, it's okay. Here's a lie that you may have heard that comes from this main concept. Oh, we told them to behave, but boys will be boys. There was one young lady that put on my social media this week that, that she was taught that, that sex pretty much was girls to be the object of and boys to, be enjoy, to enjoy, and that's, that's a lie. Men and women are to enjoy sex, and boys aren't just to be boys, especially when they belong to Jesus. The bottom line, though, is over the years, um, in too many places, all the way back to Jesus' day, we were more concerned about what it looked like on the outside in our behavior than what our heart was connected to. We get real concerned in church cultures and in Jesus' day and the Pharisees and, and the church leaders. Uh, they were really bad. at As long as it looked good in public, we were good. And what you did in private, it's all good. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knows that today. Please hear this. I, I believe sex is to be directed between a husband and wife, period. And it's meant for privates, privacy. But we can twist that a little bit and say, as long as whatever you do in private... As long as people don't see it and you don't hurt your witness, it's all good. And that's a lie. Well, as long as it doesn't hurt others, it's all good. No, it could be a lie still. Because in Jesus' day, much like today, the religious leaders, people like that came to church on a regular basis like you, 
They're like, as long as I look good, then, then I'm good. But Jesus wasn't compare, really concerned about what it looked like. He was concerned about our hearts. But over the years, we've been misled about that at times. I can remember hearing friends, parents, and preachers talk about, we, we don't watch R-rated movies. It's not appropriate. But then I would see them renting them and watching them at home. That was confusing to me. But on the outside, we wouldn't want anybody to see us going to the theater. Some of you girls may have said, hey, you need to make sure you dress modest at church where everybody's watching. Well, what does that send? What message does that send? What, what about when no one's watching? And some of you were told, you never should enjoy some wings at Hooters unless you're out of state where nobody from church is around. <laughs> How much of the time do we connect sexuality with only what people see on the outside? And what Jesus is concerned about, what's in the heart. Jesus is talking to, in Matthew 15, you can read it this week, Matthew 15, he's talking to some people like you, some of the most religious, and he's talking about inward purity. And he says, man, inward purity is what's most important. Forget about what you look like on the outside. Uh, that, that has value. But the most important thing is your inward purity. And then he speaks to people a lot like us, and he says, your hearts are far from me. It's the same type of people that, that were clean on the outside, but they were like whitewashed tombs. They were dirty on the inside. So let me ask you this in closing. How is your heart with sexual purity? You guys look good today. You need to hear that every once in a while. But how's your heart? You, you don't have to tell me, but, but I'm, I, I think it really is important that we know because Jesus says that, that it's our heart that matters. Look what Jesus says in Mark 7. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. You know what defiles us? It's our actions, but it's primarily our hearts. For far too long, good Christians have said, as long as it looks good on the outside, it's good. Try to behave and you'll be okay. We said things like this, well, they love each other. It's okay what they do as long as they get married. What matters far too much of the time is what it looks like on the outside. And Jesus says, how's your hearts? I'm sorry that we have made purity about what we do with our behavior when our purity is wrapped up in Jesus. And when he saves us, we're to honor him with our sex, even our sex. I would say especially with our sex because sex is so directly connected to the heart. David understood this. You know David from the Bible, King David? He was a man after God's own heart. But he let his heart get away from him because his heart began to lust for a woman named Bathsheba. Remember that? It was his friend's wife and she was beautiful. And he justified his mind in so many ways. And he had one of the most scandalous sexual encounters with her. And she became pregnant. And then he had his friend killed to cover up his actions. So no one would see. Well, then his friend Nathan came to him one day and says, I know what you've done. God sees it all. And David knew it was a heart issue. How do I know that? Because he didn't try to make excuses. He didn't say that he deserved it. He confessed from his heart. Listen to these words as the band comes to sing. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the, sin of, the stain of my sin. Wash me 
from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Some of you are there. You're haunted right now. It doesn't have to be that way. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Here's a promise. No matter what you've done sexually in the past or even this weekend or even this morning, you can be made clean through the blood of Jesus. This man had even murdered a man to cover it up, and he's like, you'll clean me. Whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain from my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence or don't take away your spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's a big thing. Make me willing to obey. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. And you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. So today, no matter where you're at on the spectrum, you can fall in the footsteps of David and trust in Jesus, and you can be made clean. Ask him to give you a, a spirit that would obey him, to, to, to honor him with your bodies. Would you please stand? Uh, at this time, we usually say, hey, come and talk to D and I. D is going to be up front, because you may want to pray about something totally different. But it's very much, I understand the mindset I would rather not come forward on a day we just talked about sex. That may be how you feel. We're still here. There's many other things that you could repent of, and and you might just say, I've already repented, I want to give my life to Jesus. Man, that's open. After service, I'm going to be in the back, in the hub area, if you want to talk more. But here's maybe the most important thing you need to know. This week, if you need to keep the conversation going with your kids, with one of us, man, we need to keep the conversation going because this matters. Because sex God's way is best. Amen? Father in heaven, I pray that we would give this to you. You've given it to us as a beautiful part of marriage, a beautiful part of being a human. Father, let us not pretend like we can figure it out on our own, but help us. Convict us to the Holy Spirit and change us. Renew a right spirit in, in, a, in a, a heart that would be moldable by you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.